Welcome to Replenish Hope. I am your host, Denise Castro. Hi, and welcome to Replenish Hope. I am your host, Denise Castro, and today I have a very special guest. Her name is Amanda Carpenter. And Amanda, I was... Let me tell you a little bit about this woman. She is an advocate. She's a speaker. She's a writer. She's also a podcaster called A Longer Table. Um, that's the name of her podcast. She is a wife and a mama to many. And she, like I, and she's also an author. And her book is called Space, An Invitation to Crack Sustainable Rhythms of Work play, and rest. Amanda, thank you so much for making time. <laughs> thank you thank for you coming. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes, thank you. It's an honor. My goodness. I I was telling you a little bit um, that I've been following you for, for a while. And one thing I can say, um, Miss Amanda, about you is that everything everything that you do, you do it well and you do it as if you've been doing it a long time. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet of you. Thank you. Yeah, like I I mean you're I mean I'm I'm pretty sure your journey started a long time ago, but like from your um from your time that it's only been like 2 years, right, since you published your book? Yeah, yeah, it hasn't even been 2 years yet. Yeah. Crazy. I mean that, and then I've been I I've been listening to your podcast, and it's like, girl, it's like you've been doing this forever. It's like, like pristine, everything done in excellence. Wow, thank you. That means a lot. It it it, it really like I was just wow, and you're so young. You're like you're in your twenties. I am. Yes, <laughs> it's like amazing. It's like. You're, you're young, but you have like so much life experience and work ethic in you. Like it's, it's, I'm like just blown away. Oh, well, thank you. That means a lot. I think it has a, a lot to do with my upbringing. So I, you know, it's cool how even really hard things can turn into really like beautiful parts of yourself as you grow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Amanda, congratulations. I know you just celebrated your fifth year anniversary recently. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Good memory. <laughs> yeah. Like she's, she has um, her husband, Eric, who is also a music producer and songwriter. He can sing. I heard some of his little snippets and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's very, very talented. He is, It's so funny. Most people don't know, but he was a professional soccer player post-college and he did that for a while. Um, and then when he finally got cut from playing pro, he like all of a sudden became a musician and we were all like, what? Like you're really athletically talented and musically talented. Like, who are you? Oh my God. Um, he's, I always joke that I married up. He's very, very talented. Um, I mean, I was just like, okay, like, I mean, two creative people. Like, you are both creative, like, in your own right. And it's, and I can imagine the conversations you guys have sometimes might have. Yes, yes. We, <laughs> we sometimes get on a kick where we're going to change the world, you know. So we, I, we do these things called creative dates where we go out to 
well, this is pre-COVID, but, you know, we'd go out to a coffee shop or whatever and we'd sit side by side, but kind of do our own thing and just every now and then like nudge the other, like, hey, I think I'm onto something or like I had a light bulb moment or what do you think of this? Um, so, yes, we that's a really sweet part of our friendship and our marriage is just our ability to like understand that we're both at all times pursuing creativity. And is it, I think maybe for some couples, I know that's a tension in their marriage because they're very opposite in that. Um, but Ian and I are very alike in that. So it's, it's a real gift. You know what? I, I, I believe you. I, I believe you and your husband will continue to do great things, probably change a lot of the world. So I believe you guys are how the pace you guys are going. I can totally see it. And so congratulations for five years being married and um, sticking together through all this, through all this journeys that you have been guys going through. You have, um, I'm going to share just a little bit, but, but um, you guys been taking a uh, fostering children, like 16 kids now. Yeah. 16. Yeah. So I can't wait to get into that conversation too. But Amanda, tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, tell me about your childhood and go ahead. Yeah, I grew up in Indiana and um, my mom and my dad divorced when I was a baby. So I don't ever remember them together. Um, And they both remarried. Uh, unfortunately, they both remarried more than once. So I've had a lot of step and half siblings, a lot of step parents. And um, that was its own thing, right? Like that was a hard and weird thing to go through constant transition as a kid. In addition, when I was seven years old, there was a really bad domestic violence situation between my dad and his wife at the time. And I called the police, uh, which was the right decision. Um, at seven years old, I think natural instinct kicked in. And I hid my baby half-sister in a closet while the police came. And they um, arrested my dad, took my stepmom to the hospital. And it was extremely, extremely traumatic at the time. And the reason I can talk about it to this day without really getting emotional is because I've done years, over a decade of counseling to heal from this. And... It's still like painful and hard, but I really believe, and I tell people all the time that I I think that the catastrophes in our story are the catalyst for our calling. Mm. So what I mean by that is this was a catastrophe in my life, and yet it was the whole catalyst for why I wanted to become a foster parent someday and why I feel called to foster care. Because at a young age, I knew myself that not every child has a safe, stable, loving environment to grow up in. And I also knew at the same time that these biological parents whose children end up in care aren't monsters, that they themselves are lovable, wonderful humans who just have to heal from their own wounds in order to parent. And luckily, I didn't have to spend years in the foster care system. I was able to be reunified with my parents. My mom raised me and she's my best friend. And we've, you know, that the situation that happened had nothing to do with her, but Still, at that young age, I got a glimpse of what a lot of kids in foster care go through. And I just, I really believe that that's why I always knew this is what I'm called to do. um, When you grew up in that, after that incident happened, um, were you still having connections with uh, with your birth dad? 
Yeah. So my dad and I, like after he was released from jail and my stepmom did heal in the hospital and then like they actually stayed married for a few more years after that, um, which is crazy in itself. But he, we, there was like a slow progression of what visitations looked like. So instead of going there every other weekend, like I always had, it looked different and I was ended up getting a cell phone that like at any point I was allowed to say like I don't want to do this anymore and I could go and so yeah I and I still have a relationship with my dad to this day um and that's even like grown and evolved and there's so much grace and so yeah it's it's interesting the way it's all played out but I'm I wouldn't wish what I went through on anyone Mm -hmm. but I also know that it's what makes me me and it's what shaped me and um, really led me to live the life I'm living today. Mm-hmm. Amanda, can you share a little bit of, um, I like, what kind of kiddo, what, what was your personality as a kid? Yeah, I love this question. Um, from what I remember and what my parents have told me, you know, because I sometimes think we don't, we don't know, like, if, and, and unless you've had trauma at a young age, there's not a lot of, like, things that maybe your memory holds on to but trauma when there's a trauma then you really remember things so there are certain things I really remember and there's certain things that are very repressed and what I know is I was a very I was always like an old soul so I think because my innocence was lost at a young age I grew up really fast and so I was very um, confident decisive I was sort of a control freak I think at a young age because again when you live in chaos you're at all times striving or seeking control over your circumstances and so even at a young age I my teachers would say like I was such a great student but they were they had concerns and their concerns were often like I graded her paper this worksheet she got a sticker on it or an A or whatever that looks like this was like as young as third and fourth grade but she, after getting it back, she erased it letter by letter to redo it so it's perfect. Like, I wouldn't take anything home unless it's perfect. And so I remember in fourth grade, this is such a weird thing, but they took away all erasers from me. And they said, we want her to just put a line through it if she messes up and then keep going. And they were trying to break this potentially OCD habit that I had of perfectionism. And it's interesting because to this day, I would tell you, I am not a perfectionist. So there's a lot of healing that's happened from childhood till now because I'm I'm truly not. Mm -hmm. But I think that growing up, I was an old soul. I tried to parent people around me because I had to parent myself at times. I didn't have the parents that I needed all the time and I just wanted their approval and I wanted their admiration and I wanted them to be proud of me and so everything I did as a child I think came from that place did your parents notice or were they too busy with their lives to see that yeah so my mom was always really attuned to how I was as a child. And like, like I said, to this day, we're best friends. We always were. So she was great. So she got me into therapy. Um, She picked up on things and she just constantly, like I was, my mom never, um, never withheld like love and affection. And I mean, she told me every day how amazing I was or how proud she was of me. So, so there was, 
there wasn't that. It was more of the daddy issues. It was like, I just wanted my dad to want me and to love me and to not see me as an obligation or a burden. Um, and I'm still healing from those childhood wounds mm -hmm. and the gaps that he probably didn't ever intentionally create, but because of unhealed trauma in his own story, it's like this generational pattern. Um, so that's, that's how it was. That's how it is. You know, Amanda, you, you, you share a lot about your faith. It's part of who you are, but it's not, I, I kind of get it's not everything, but it's a very big part of, of who you are. Um, did you grow up in, in a faith community in a, or in a, in, no, in a home that believed in faith? Yeah. So my mom, we went to church, like she was a believer and we went to church. I was put in Bible quiz at a young age, um, like. I think it was like third or fourth grade um, that I started Bible quiz. And so, yeah, faith was a big part of my life and my upbringing. However, I feel like it was all head knowledge. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I became an adult and discovered faith on my own in my 20s. Um, about 20 and 21 years old was when I started the shift really happened, where I think it started traveling 18 inches down to my heart. And it wasn't just verses to be memorized or a thing to do to be a good person, quote unquote, but it was, who is this Jesus and how did he live and how can I model my life after him? And what would it look like to radically love and offer grace to myself and to others? And it changed everything. And that's when faith, that's when I feel like the passion grew within me. And now my faith and my beliefs in Jesus and trying to follow the way of Jesus is the foundation of everything. It's the foundation of my marriage. It's the foundation of my business, it's the foundation of, I don't want to just do good things in the world um, without people knowing who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for me. It's really I actually don't even know how to like I, I when I set out to write my second book which is coming out next in February so we still have a ways to go but um, when I started writing that book I asked myself how can I write this book so that it will get picked up by non-believers people who don't share the same faith as me and that they'll love it too mm -hmm. because you know in publishing and writing you want to write a best-selling book and you want people to pick it up and and so I really tried to do that in the beginning. And the problem was I couldn't write my story and the stories that I needed to share when I took Jesus out of it. I couldn't do it. It was impossible. Mm -hmm. And so I finally had to give up this uh, goal or this idea that I'm going to write for the masses. And instead, I just said, I'm going to write it true to who I am and whoever it reaches, it'll reach, you know, and let go of this idea that maybe I could write this book for the masses and maybe simmer down or tone it down with my Jesus talk and instead I just left it all in and that's the only way I knew how to do it so Jesus is a big part of my life I definitely don't shy away from talking about it um, I'm pretty open <laughs> I know you I mean you're you're so approachable Amanda and also like also like you you don't shy away from top like from um, tough topics you can say and and, and I think that's, um, it's, it's needed. And I was thinking earlier today is like, my goodness, we're, 
we're in like in a different world, like to some aspect, like everybody has the freedom to, to talk and speak and share. And, and it, it can be very liberating, but it also, like you said, it kind of, kind of, it's a little bit fearful as well. Cause you want to love on it. Like you want to reach all, all those, all these people and read your book, but then you also have to be honest to yourself and also to the reader. It wouldn't be fair to the reader if you, if you don't show who you are, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, it's, it's really interesting as I was continuing to, to learn more about you and, um, how did you meet your hubby? Oh, that's a story. <laughs> so, so we went to the same college, but we were, um, we're five and a half years apart in age. And so he actually already graduated from the college that I was attending, but he was dating a girl that I was really good friends with. And, um, they broke up and a few months later, my boyfriend and I at the time broke up and he and Eric and I stayed friends. And after a while, that friendship turned into a pursuit where I was like, oh my gosh, he's pursuing me. And, um, I actually even like rebounded and dated some other people for a little bit. And he just was like my steady friend. And so I sort of friend zoned him a little bit. And we joked that I even said, you're kind of like my big brother. Like, I just did not see him in a romantic way. And whether this sounds corny or not, I'll just say it. I think that that was actually God's way of protecting us and what we were going to have. Because at the time, I wasn't ready to be in a romantic relationship with someone like Eric. He was a very solid in his faith believer who had such integrity. And I think I would have ruined it had we entered into a relationship at the time because God was still like cultivating and growing and changing things within me. And so by the time we did end up dating, which didn't take long, but by the time it got there, it was like, I wasn't going to blow it. <laughs> I didn't ruin it. Um, and so, yeah, but we met because he was dating a girl that I was really good friends with. So crazy, but yeah. How long was your courtship? Like a few years or was it quick be um, before you guys got married? Yeah. So we dated for almost two years and then he proposed and we had a seven month engagement and then we got married. Yeah. Did you guys talk about children and like, did you, did you both got into the conversation of fostering children before? Yeah. When we were dating, that was always a non-negotiable for me. So I always had this non-negotiable list of like, you know, I'm willing to compromise or um, be open, so to speak about a lot of things, right? Like I didn't care if I was I never said like, oh, I'll only date guys with brown hair or I'll only date guys with blonde hair. Like I, I didn't care about that type of thing. But there was a short list, I think like five to seven things that I was like, these are my non-negotiables. And I always encourage people that are that are in dating seasons to, to create a non-negotiable list, things that you will not negotiate or compromise on. You have to have those things figured out. And for me, one of them was, have to be willing to be a foster parent because I knew that by the time whether I got married or not, I was willing to do it as a single woman. But when I felt ready to do it, I knew I was going to foster. I knew that having biological children was probably not part of my story, um, just by choice. And so, and that could change or evolve. Here we are five years into our marriage and we're talking about that possibility someday, but I don't know. Uh, so anyways, when we were dating, it was discussed and Eric 
had never had a very opposite childhood of me. You know, no one has a perfect childhood, but his was as close to perfect as it gets. And he really just was like, wait, what? As he learned about my story and as he learned about foster care in general, he was like, I had no idea that this was a thing. And, and so I really just opened his eyes to it. And then I just said, listen, there's no pressure, um, but I don't want to continue dating you if that's not something that you can tell me you're willing to do. Because if we are to get married someday, I'm not saying it has to be right away in our marriage, but at some point, I think we should foster. That's something I plan on doing. And obviously, if you're married, it takes two and you can't, you can't just be a foster parent uh, with yourself without them being involved. That's just not how it works. So yeah, he ended up like, not only being open and willing, but growing his own passion for it, which was really cool to see. And so by the time we were engaged, it was like a complete no brainer that this was something we were going to do together. And then we waited till, we didn't wait that long, but our second year of marriage is when we started the application process for being foster parents and moved along. So yeah, it's so wild. It is. I mean, I, I can relate to that. Um, when my husband and I, we started dating, he, um, he said since the age of 13, he knew that he was going to be a dad, but through, uh, adoption and we're both Mexican. Um, I mean, family is very big and we have big families. I mean, his older brother has 16 kids by all children. So we're like, that's, you know, and uh, so when he date, when we started dating and we started talking about family and stuff and he just wanted to make sure that if I would be OK, um, having a family through adoption. And I always wanted to have uh, a family like that through adoption as well. So when he said, you know, Denise, I, I want to start a family, but not like biologically having children would you be open to it? And I said, yes. So I married with that in our hearts. And then we got married. I was 21. And then I said, well, we'll, we'll see some years, you know, we'll probably grow out of it or something, we'll, or we will have the desire to. And um, we, we always got questioned, like, like you said, my husband had a really good childhood, really good childhood. And I did not, unfortunately, or fortunate, I don't know, it depends how, which day you see, what day it is, you know, uh, but it's, it's pretty amazing that they they always question us, is it trauma or is it something, I mean, whatever it may be, but it's always in our hearts, you know, and, you know, it's just time will tell, and at this point, I mean, it, it's a, it's a heavenly choice that, we started our family through adoptions and it's a blessing, you know, which, which, whichever way you go, Amanda, it's a blessing. So yeah. I totally get that. I get the, the whole of the choice, but you guys jumped right into it. Like we waited a few years before we became parents, but you guys, a few years later, jumped into it. And how was that? Was that the beautiful twin girls or was that your first placement? Yeah, yeah. So in 2017, we had twin three-year-old girls, um, and that was our first placement. And since then, we've had just a number of kids come in and out of our care. Yeah, I've been I've been thinking a lot about um, about how you said about the 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 birth parents or the bio mom or bio dad. They're not they're not monsters or they're not terrible people. I have been really actually these past two weeks or so, um, 
I've been thinking a lot about that. Probably not particularly of, of my daughter's bio uh, mom or, or anything like that, but just thinking like I have a lot of shortcomings too as a parent. If, if, like, I'm, I'm no better than, than any, anybody. And God knows that I need still to this day help, counseling, parenting coaches, everything, prayer, help. It's like, why, why not them too? You know, been thinking a lot about that. Like, um, I went through a, a, a parenting class recently. And one of the moms were, a bio mom was in the class. And she said, and then there was another person, a foster parent said, are these classes given to the birth parents? And they kind of shied away from the, from the, you know, from the question. And they said, no, it's different. And the bio mom said, yeah, these classes are much better than the ones that they give us. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. I was just like, okay, Denise you like I'm having not a change of heart, but more like the reality of think of compassion and love for one another. And also, um, I mean, adoption is a beautiful thing, but it wasn't designed this way kind of. Right. So, yeah. So I, and you know, reading your posts, Amanda, reading many other posts and just through my, this, this time in quarantine, I've been having a lot of time to think and so I want to thank you for that, for sharing the, the heart of the, of the of birth parents as well, because we forget or we try to forget because it's uncomfortable sometimes to say they're forgotten. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's something that I didn't do well in the beginning of our foster care journey. Like I, I think I tried to, ha I, I know that I tried to have a really good relationship with all of our kids' parents. And I, I did do it well in some aspects, but at the same time, it w I found it really hard to cheer on a parent and to really root for them and to be for reunification, which is the goal of foster care, and to fall in love with the children and living in that tension at the same time. I found it to be really difficult, and I've, I think I've gotten better the longer we've been a part of it because we've seen reunification happen, and it's actually so beautiful. It's just as, if not um, more beautiful than adoption, but yet our society and culture tends to celebrate adoption so much more loudly and in fact reunification getting to that point takes a lot of hard work and if a parent can do it it's, it's one of the most redemptive holy sacred moments that I've ever gotten to witness and be a part of yeah I can see that it's like redemption you see it oh my god exactly you know you were I was reading your post and your journey you started as a well, first of all, women, you've you've been a teacher, you've been a uh, uh, um, like a trainer. But what was it that you were teaching? Bear, bar, bar. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> yeah, the thing. Yeah, and and my goodness, you worked in a in a in a church and a blogger, and I saw you handwriting notes. And my goodness, you've done so many things, and. But your journey, like you have gone through a journey of of just being like you wrote this book of just rest and enjoying life. And tell me a little bit about that, Amanda. Yeah, so you're right. I was a school teacher and then I worked in marketing. I was actually the global marketing 
uh, person for a huge multi-million dollar company and I was so unqualified but it's hilarious how God just puts you where you need to be for certain seasons of your life and then I worked at our church and then I left our church to do my own thing and right as I was leaving the church um, sorry I still go to the church but as I was leaving my career with the church and being on staff I released a self-published book which is my first one that you mentioned faith and that came from a really cool uh, conviction that God laid on my heart. So in 2018, I felt like God, I was, I was out running. I'm not even that much of a runner, but I was out running on this hot August day. And I just felt like I was praying to God about like what the next year of my life looks like. And the reason I say the next year is because my birthday is in September. And so I was approaching a birthday and every year I love birthdays. And I was like, okay, God, like, what do you have for me in this next year? Like, what should I be focusing on? Like, what, what do you want from me? I just want to live a life, not only that pleases you, but I just want to live a life that oozes you and that people like see you in it. And I'm, I'm praying and I'm running. And I just felt like it wasn't an audible voice, but it was one of the most clear times I've ever heard from God. And it was like, faith, you need faith. And when I say that right now, it doesn't seem like that maybe has a lot of significance or meaning, but right away in my heart, I knew exactly what God was telling me. God was telling me that I was living a fast paced, overly full life that had no room for him. Mm. That In the midst of all my doing and going and being, I was not leaving room for the Holy Spirit or for God to um, to do what he wants to do in me. And so I immediately got home from that run and I told my husband, I was like, babe, and he, my husband's used to this. Also we're creative. So we kind of, this is just how we communicate, but I'm like, babe, the Holy Spirit totally revealed to me that I, I have to create space. Like I'm hitting a breaking point and the Lord is revealing that in this next year of my life, I need to create space. So I began, this was like a private thing, right? This is before the book, okay? The book comes later. I right away started looking for what can I cut from my schedule? What can I start saying no to? How can I, and I, and I, at the same time, I was kind of like, well, what am I creating space for? Right? It was like, I wanted to know, God wasn't revealing to me what he was creating space for, but it was just like, obey me, like do what I'm telling you to do and create space. So here I am like, I ended up like quitting a few extracurricular things that I was a part of. I even stopped doing quote unquote good things like leading a small group. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, my time of doing this is done. And I started having a lot of space. So that was sort of the first part of the journey. Um, and I will say I ended up getting really anxious in the midst of first creating space because I was so used to being go, go, go. Um, fast-paced living, really busy, full living, that when I suddenly had the space to just be, things came up that I maybe was distracted and, and totally unaware of prior to because of my busy, overly stuffed life. Mm -hmm. And so as I went through this journey, I feel like God led me to the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where I was reading the life of Jesus, and I was trying to pay attention to details that I probably overlooked in the past. 
And as I did that, and as I studied the Gospels, I started picking up on things like Jesus took naps. Jesus withdrew to pray. Jesus fulfilled his commitments one at a time. Like he actually was one of the most sought after healers and people in certain communities. And yet he didn't just let everyone pull him. He didn't try to be everything for everyone. He didn't just let people pull him in every direction, but he said no. He, you know, was steady. And so I I started like writing out like all these things about Jesus's character. And that's what led me to kind of part two of my journey, which is, oh my gosh, space used well isn't selfish. So it's not that Jesus is asking me to create space just to watch Netflix or just to uh, sleep more or just to, I don't know, whatever it is. It was like, oh, I'm supposed to do something with this space. I'm supposed to use it well. And that even has its own two parts. The first part is to be with God, to allow the Holy Spirit to transform me. So maybe through journaling, maybe through reading scripture, through being with God in whatever ways that looks like, going for a walk, being in nature, just paying attention. And then the other part is to use it well to serve other people. So if I'm going to be cooking for my family, could I make a double batch of this lasagna to take over to a neighbor? Just because. And so it was like, okay, how can I use this yourself? So as I was on this journey, I, I didn't really document it at all. Um, so I think maybe here and there a little bit, if you follow my blog and my social media, but I, it wasn't super clear what God was doing. I think it was a real private thing between him and I, and it was super imperfect. It's not like I made this drastic shift overnight. But as I carried on with it, I felt like God was like, now use your gifts and share this with everyone else. And I was like, okay, like I'm no expert. I'm still in the middle of this. And so I just wrote out like 30 days of a devotional that sort of led people to do the same thing that I was in the midst of or had just done. And I first released it via email to my email subscribers. And it was crazy how it blew up. Like people were forwarding it to all their friends and people they knew. And there was something that resonated about this, this concept of space and wanting to slow down and wanting to be present and have sustainable rhythms in their life for life to not be so burdensome and so heavy and so full and busy that it just, it it ended up leading so many more people to me. And that's when it was like, okay, people are asking for this in print. So it was literally one step of obedience at a time. I didn't, I did not set out. I can wholly, wholeheartedly say I did not set out to write a devotional at all. It, it, that was not the journey. Um, unlike the second book that I am very much, I'm out to write the second book. Uh That was not how this first book came to be. Wow. So in this journey, how has that has developed in you, Amanda, now, like it's been two years later, are you still in that journey or is it different now? I think I'm still in that journey, but it has changed. Um, I ended up, uh, when, when my devotional was first in print, I sold it through my website. And when I went to put it on Amazon, I said, okay, well, I've evolved since this first came out. So I wonder if I should make some tweaks and changes. And so I went ahead and did that before putting it on Amazon. So the version people get now from Amazon is an evolved version, like a second edition to what first came out. And one of the biggest things that changed with it was what God really revealed to me, which is 
this is a very privileged journey mm-hmm. that, and I put this in the, there's an author's note in the front of the devotional that I wanted to share about it, which was when I first set out to do all of this, like, that's great. It, um, and, and it's, it's exactly what God wanted for me. But at, the longer I was a part of it, I realized that even the fight for space or the pursuit of space comes from a place of privilege and that not every man or woman has the ability to spend time thinking about how I can take more naps and how I can chew my food more slowly. I mean, so many people in the U.S. and and all around the world are living in survival mode. And so it's just this really cool journey that God revealed to me that, okay, using your space well isn't selfish and using your privilege well is necessary. And so it kind of became this justice oriented thing. And that's where I'm at today is, okay, I now have no, I don't have a hard time saying no to things at all. I'm really good with my boundaries and all of that's great. So I feel like God revealed like, love your space and love your people, but like love them more than your space. Like be willing to be inconvenienced, be willing mm-hmm. to, cause I kind of became so rigid with the boundaries to protect my space that then God was like, okay, the pendulum has swung a little too far. Mm-hmm. Now you need to be willing to be inconvenienced and to serve people, even if it costs you your space. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of this. That's what I wanted you to create space for mm-hmm. so that the Holy Spirit could reveal to you and spontaneously ask you to do things mm-hmm. that are seemingly radical or weird or whatever. And so that's what I'm trying to pay attention to now is when I'm out, And I feel like the Holy Spirit is prompting me to do something or go somewhere. It's like, I try to follow that prompting Mm -hmm. and I have the space to do it. Whereas before I was too busy. So does the space feel different? Like you, I think so. Like it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel busy. It feels like full or, or does it feel right? Like, what is it? Because people, I can think in my own life. You know, in this time, Amanda, like COVID, everything stopped. Our church, our, everything's online. Um, people are gathering slowly together. And for the, like for the first time in years, I had a lot of pride in my work ethic as serving. I had just very humble, but I knew I was really good at serving. You know, hospitality and all that good stuff. But, um, but I took a lot of pride in that. And then when, but I never really considered myself didn't really grasp the idea of I'm God's daughter or like he's my father. I was kind of foggy. I kind of, I, I understood more like I'm God's servant. I serve God in more, more in that aspect. And when this whole thing stopped for the first time in my life, I'm 30 something years old. I, my mom converted to Christianity when I was four. I can, because I, I'm not doing anything. I can, the first time can say, I am God's daughter for the first time because I still feel loved. I'm not doing, I'm not doing much, quote unquote. I mean, um, so it's amazing how when you stop, you you know, I have stopped doing, but I still feel full or some. Is that is that is that what you experience? Like you stopped doing, but your life was still full, but in the right ways. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely one way to put it. I put this in my face devotional and it comes from my church, but we have to be, 
we're human beings, not human doings. Mm -hmm. And when you stop the doing and you are a human being, you find, you should find, or some of us have to do the work to find our identity in Christ outside of our accomplishments or our achievements or our good deeds or whatever. And yeah, so that's been a huge thing for me. And I love that you brought up this time of COVID and how it's changed everybody's life. Um, I think forever, but, but especially right now. And I was telling a lot of people that follow me, I was like, you know, some of you have already gone through the space social, but for those of you who haven't, space has been forced upon us. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to use it? Are you going to use it just to binge watch shows and just to numb out? Or are you going to use it to do the inner work that God is calling you to do? Are you going to do it um, in a way that isn't selfish and can be used well? And um, so there's just a lot that I've shared on that. But I also feel like this is a quote from the devotional that I always say, we need to be with God so that doing the work of God doesn't kill the work of God in us. If we're not being with God and we're only doing the work of God, doing the work of God could be being a mother. It could be being a wife. It could be being a teacher. It could be making meals. It can be whatever. Any of that is the work of God. Okay. That we're not just talking about pastors or people who work in churches, but like any, take anything you do all day long, you're doing the work of God, right? If you're following Jesus and that's your heart. If we're not with God and we're not being with God and spending time with him and all we're doing is that work we're going to kill the work of God in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we see that happen. Mm -hmm. we, we see it happen in ourselves. We see it happen in people we love. We see it happen in mega church pastors as they have a very public fall from their shortcomings. I think it's really important that we have to be with God more than we do for him. It's very true. Very true. I, I know I have, I know reading your, your posts and you mentioned that, that like Amanda, you're the girl who uh, who waters your own grass, not instead of thinking the grass is greener on the other side. That's that's your like you said, you take care of your time and you take care of this moment that God has put space in our lives. But how do you think this has changed our lives forever? Mm. Kind of curious about that. Yeah, I think for a lot of us hopefully a lot of us, we won't go back to filling our schedules with nearly as much that will be the fruit of a slower paced life of a life that has less in it. Um, I think hopefully we'll be more empathetic to the vulnerable population going forward. So I know for me, like, I think it's made me aware that when flu season comes around, I'll probably wear a mask because if I get the flu, I'm going to live. But if my grandmother gets the flu, she very well could die. And so for me, it's like, I know in other cultures and countries, they wear masks if they feel sick at all. I mean, a lot of them. And the United States as a whole, like that's not the case for us. But because of COVID and the severity and the risks involved, obviously many of us hopefully are wearing masks. And for me, like the just precautions around how do we protect the vulnerable, the elderly, the children, the people with, com you know, immunocompromised systems. And so I hope, I hope in that sense, it's changes forever as well. Mm -hmm. And we're living in a time of history, both with COVID and racial injustice and everything that's happening. It's, it's 
very interesting because I know we're going to read about it. My children or my children's children are going to read about it in textbooks or they probably won't have textbooks. They'll probably read it on their tablets Mm -hmm. um, when they're older. And similar to how as a kid, when I read and things that happen in history, like it's really fascinating to read about. And I'm like, how did they let this happen? How is this like, why didn't they do something or or if I were in that time of history, I would have blah, blah, blah. I think it's interesting because we're living that right now. So if you look back on Martin Luther King and the civil rights era and you say to your grandparents or to people like, well, did you march with him? Like, did you march for equality? Like, did you want equality? Of course, most of them would be like, well, yeah, you know, most of us and our and our ancestors and people we love would say like, well, of course we segregation's wrong. Of course that wasn't okay. But it's like, well, what did you do? And and so anyways, people that say, well, I would have marched with Dr. King. It's like, well, are you out marching now? Because we're living in that. Our kids are going to read about this or our kids' kids. So we're just in a crazy, crazy time. And I think it's really interesting. And I'm just trying to do it well I think we all are and we're making I'm making mistakes I'm sure many of us are but we're learning we're figuring it out and when I feel like there's an abundance of information floating around the internet in my feed in my face and it's conflicting and I don't know what to do I try to go back to what I really believe Jesus would have done yeah and that's my compass that's my guide that's who I follow yeah you know Amanda you you open your home, you and your husband open your home to, to children that have experienced a lot of, a lot of loss and hurt. And to some extent, hope, you know, at such a young age, you don't even know what the word hopelessness means, but you can surely know how that feels. Um, how have you guys found hope or re- first, how did you guys found replenishment in your own life? And also as a family, as the children come to your home? Yeah, I think, first of all, paying attention to not only like the hardships, but the really joyful, beautiful moments, because it's both, right? And clinging to those things and celebrating every little win and every opportunity we get for them or their parents or ourselves as we learn how to be parents. And so really trying to focus on the positive and honoring the negative. Like I think there's toxic positivity, which is if you're, you know, kind of neglecting hardships and sometimes it's better just to say, I acknowledge like today was a really hard day. And this is why, instead of just being like, Oh, it's fine. All these other good things happen. It's like, no, you can honor the hard too. And that's really good to acknowledge it. Our kids and I um, and my husband, every single night at dinner, we do highs and lows every day. And at dinner, we go around the table and everyone shares one high and one low. Low, what's the hardest part of your day? Or what would you have changed if you could have changed it? And what was the high? What was the best part of your day? And just teaching them and practicing ourselves, holding the tension of the good and the hard all at once. Mm -hmm. And I think we find a lot of replenishment in not being afraid to receive and ask for help. Mm -hmm. So when we need breaks, when we need a date night, when... We need to say, you know what? Yeah, we're supposed to do 20 minutes of reading today. That's what your teacher requested, but it's been a really hard day. And we're going to just, what do you want to do? Do you want to play a game? Do you want to play Candyland? Let's do that. Like 
being flexible with plans has been really big for us. Um, I think there's a multitude of ways that we found hope and replenishment. I know for my husband, he's really into like meditating and breathing exercises and just being still. And that's really good for him. For me, a lot of times what can kind of redeem a day or if a day gets off on the wrong foot and I'm like, oh no, (laughs) it's like sometimes I need to just be alone for a few minutes and pray, maybe have a good cry and then kind of start over or go for a family bike ride and like just have a little powwow, like treat, treat, we treat our family almost like a team. Like we're like, we're on the same team. We're not against each other. Let's remember that. Let's remember that we're all for each other. So gosh, there's so many ways, but those are just a few. And in, in the midst of that, I bet it's, um, I know I have read some of your posts, like when you see the child being replenished and having, finding hope again, I bet it's, it's the greatest reward. Isn't it, Amanda? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like what keeps you going in all of this heartache and hardships. I think watching children heal before your eyes, watching them have hope, watching them be kids. So even when they start to misbehave in your home, that's usually a good sign because that means they feel safe and comfortable enough to do so. And they're not like walking around on eggshells. So yeah, it's a really beautiful thing. And, and it's what keeps me going. Yeah. You know, as you were sharing, like we're living in such um, important times and how this space has allowed so many things. And and it's true how you said, um, you know, when you would read, well, I would read history books as well. And, um, you know, when people were um, saving Jewish children and doing this, and you were like, well, I would be brave enough to do that. But this, this time has really challenged you or challenged me like oh man do I really have the guts do I really have it do I really have the heart to to stand up for the for the right thing or to say what is right and also like you said like this space you know these times I've been praying a lot it's okay God life is it's starting to again starting to do slowly things like okay what do you want me to do I've been off for a couple couple of months feels like forever but what do you want me to do do you have any advice or wisdom you can share to somebody who is like me or who is listening that um what are the next steps to find space and to do god's will amanda and that you can share yeah i love that question and i think it starts with asking god what do I need to let go of? What do I need to pay attention to? Where have I gotten it wrong? And being open to the way God speaks to you, which for me is often through other people. Sometimes it's through nature and just really paying attention. I have a pastor who, Jeannie, who tells me all, or has, told many of us and and reminded me so many times you can't just like pray like okay God reveal yourself to me and then just wait you have to go actively looking for him Mm. and so don't just wait for a big neon sign because it often won't happen that way and also know that God is not a God who is gonna like (laughs) I don't know like come down on you hard if you make the wrong decision or you know sometimes life presents like numerous options actually often in almost everything there's five or six minimum different paths that we can take 
And sometimes we're afraid to take a next step because we're afraid it's the wrong one. But often we won't know if it's the wrong one until we just take a step. And so I would also just say to people to encourage them to not be afraid to experiment, to try new things or to try life without something that you've always done. Like ask yourself, why am I doing this? Question your motives. And maybe that will free up space for you because sometimes you'll find, oh, I don't even love this. I do it because I think I'm supposed to do it or because my mother told me this is the way I was supposed to, you know, raise my children. And then you're like, oh, I can let go of that. And I can like bless and release and have peace and move on. So there's a number of ways and that's a little more uh, inspirational. I mean, take, take that and chew on it and think about those questions and wrestle with it. But in a very practical way, I would say if you're married, sit down with your spouse and say, what about life right now is working really well for us, is helping us be our best selves and, and heal in ways that we maybe didn't even know we needed healing. And then make a commitment and decide what it looks like as life opens back up and restaurants, you know, as everything goes back, quote unquote, to normal uh, or a sense of normalcy, decide what won't go back to normal for your family Mm -hmm. and stick to it and just create little, create boundaries, Uh, figure out what's going to be best for you and just put your blinders on. Don't look to the people around you and copy what they're doing because a lot of times we're living very different lives and what works for someone isn't going to work for you. And what works for me might not work, you know, for you. And so it's, it's really important just to evaluate for yourself and your own family. Yeah. I think this, of uh, these few weeks were pretty heavy emotionally and all this things. And, um, you know, for me, Amanda, I was like kind of thinking, Oh, so much going on. And I see, and I, it's like, God, what do you want me to do? And it's like, so much information and so much is going on that it kind of like really I'm in like in the space like I'm kind of creativity I'm hitting a wall because yeah because sometimes Amanda the space takes work even creating but it shouldn't be that way it should be easier like because you can't force it like uh, okay we're gonna make space we're gonna sit down honey and we're gonna make a plan <laughs> you know or we're gonna make yeah. a, a a new core val of family core values or and it it's like no like relax <laughs> it's gonna be okay yeah. take step by step and trying yeah. like you said um finding replenishment in your what um uh, what god wants to replenish in your own life and finding hope in what you want and also what God wants in your life to make space. So Amanda, thank you. I, is there, I just love all the wisdom that you're sharing. Is there anything else that you would like to um, tell our listeners about any ideas of replenish hope or anything that you have in your heart to share? Yeah. The, the thing that comes up for me is I just want people to know that they're already good. I think we live in a a culture and a society and a time of the world that we constantly feel the pressure to prove or to do more or to build something. And I just want you to know and to hear from me that you're already good. You don't have to strive to be better or to be good, but that you are good because you have the goodness of God in you and you're made in God's image. And when you live from a place of believing that you're already good, there's a lightness and 
as you go about doing things, it won't be because you're trying to prove something or because you're trying to earn God's love or to earn the approval of others, but it'll be from a place of already knowing that you're loved and you're good. So maybe just an encouragement to sit with that and to acknowledge that you're, you're good. You're already good and that nothing can increase or decrease the value at which you have and the way God sees you and loves you. So that's my encouragement for everyone listening. (laughs) That's beautiful, Amanda. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for sharing your life with us. Thank you for your every, I know that every word that you write, you write it from your heart and life experience. And those, so I'm pretty sure that those um, letters were, um, they came from tears and laughter. And I thank you for sharing that gift and sharing that talent and I bless you and your husband and that the, that the best is yet to come for you and your family and for all the kiddos who, will, who are blessed to walk in into your home. They come in one way, and, and, if, and when, the time it, when the time comes, they walk out differently. So thank you for helping our community. Thank you for helping our world. And thank you for saying yes and accepting who God created Amanda to be. So thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. Well, uh, guys, thank you so much for listening today. Uh, Please go pick up Amanda's book called Space and listen to her podcast. The name of her podcast is called a, I know this, I have so much information here of you. (laughs) A longer table. Yes, a longer table podcast. And um, thank you so much, Amanda. And remember, guys, that hope is for everyone. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Replenish Hope. If you want to get daily doses of hope, please subscribe and share the hope with others. And remember, hope is for everyone.